Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your hosts, Asif Khan and Abriana Lopez. All right, we are back with your favorite podcast of the week. This is This Week in Location-Based Marketing, and we are at episode number 400, 400. Recording live on January uh, the 29th, um, and it is a snow day here in Toronto. But uh, before we get to that, because it's episode 400, we got to get a little music going. So here you go. A little Stevie Wonder, Happy Birthday, 400 podcast. <laughs> it's got a long intro, though, eh? <laughs> it is a long intro. <laughs> oh, you know, Stevie. You got to get to the chorus. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's we'll, we'll skip ahead. <laughs> hey, it was your birthday too, though. So double birthday wishes. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Anyways, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> Happy birthday, uh, Brianna! Happy four hundredth episode. I had a real birthday. Um, yes, that's what I was saying. Day. It was your birthday. So did Jerome. Too. So there you go. You did, yes. Same day. Same day. Birthday twins. Yes. Um, and Jerome is my husband, just <laughs> in case you don't know. Yes. Yes. Your husband and I have the same birthday. There you go. Yes, they do. It makes it easy for me to remember. Yeah. Two important people's birthdays. Um, yeah, it's a fake snow day here, actually. So I'm like the only one in the office right now. Actually, there's one other person in the office. But, uh, you know, here in Atlanta, we've got like one snow shovel for the entire city. And because of past events where we actually have had snow and the whole city shuts down and people were stuck on the road for like 14 hours and having babies in their cars and all that nonsense, they just are like super cautious now and they just cancel everything at the idea that there might be a snowflake. So I haven't seen any snow this morning. It was raining when I walked in, so we'll have to see what happens when I walk back out after recording this podcast. <laughs> well, we like we've had it so good uh, all through November and December, and up until like last week, it was like green and warm and like no snow. And then we just got hammered uh, on the weekend, and then last night we got uh, 25 centimeters of snow up here so it is like it's clean out time but uh i mean we have equipment so most places like the schools are open like i'm going downtown to to work this afternoon um but uh there's a lot going on but uh both the kids are home today having a snow day and actually playing in the snow because when are we going to get it again who knows (laughs) so yeah um so my kids are home inside tearing apart the house <laughs> i was praying for snow but <laughs> yeah so. we're stuck inside right now so yeah all good all right so we've got a good show for you this week we have three industry news stories three member news stories i said there was going to be a guest we decided not to do the guest this week but uh we'll I'll take uh, the blame. we'll get that going <laughs> it's all right we'll get that going uh again uh probably in time for next week um and uh, just a couple things um uh if you're listening and watching uh we're doing a webinar tomorrow with uh, reveal mobile uh in the afternoon kind of looking at uh some of the data that they pulled uh, and analyzing kind of going and looking back at uh how uh the black friday and holiday shopping trends played out um you know, by analyzing their data. So we're going to have a bit of discussion uh, um, about that tomorrow uh, afternoon. You can just go to our website and sign up for that. Um, 
And uh, next week, uh, I'll be over in Germany with our good friend Karsten and the whole team over there for the LBMA's LOCA conference, which is our biggest sort of annual European event. Um, so if you're, uh, if you can get to, uh, it's in a little kind of suburb town, uh, of Frankfurt called, uh, Wiesbaden. It's like literally 20 minutes outside of Frankfurt on the train. And, uh, so if you're in that area or you can get to that area, come and see us in, in Germany next week. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Shall we jump right into it? Yes, we shall. Um, with a more announcement story here for Urgently, and they have uh, raised $21 million in funding. Um, so main contributors were Porsche, BMW, and Jaguar's uh, venture funds, as well as InMotion Ventures. Um, so this is their Series B funding. And if you don't know what Urgently does or who they are, they are kind of like this new era of roadside assistance. So um, they're the only global digital platform that provides roadside assistance as a service. So instead of like SaaS, I guess it's RAS, um, which is really interesting. So, you know, they combine things like location-based services, real-time data. Um, of course, they tout the AI and machine-to-machine um, -machine communication. Um, so, you know, they can basically share with a customer down to the very second when their roadside assistance person or service, you know, vehicle is going to arrive. Um What's interesting is like actually here in the United States, more than half of all of the um, roadside assistance providers are somehow connected on their platform. So they're serving about 45,000 networked vehicles, which is a lot. Um, and by network vehicles, I'm assuming they mean like the providers vehicles because 45,000 just um, consumer vehicles would not be very much in the US, but that's besides the point. Did not get into that detail, but that's what I'm assuming. Um, what's also interesting about about Urgently is that uh, BMW has selected them to work um, separately with them on their Connected Drive Customer Interaction Center. So basically, that's the BMW Assist. Uh, so this is great. You know, this is great news. What I think is really interesting is that it took an outside company to come in and you know reinvent everything in terms of roadside assistance, rather than you know your AAA people or Allstate or whoever it is that's kind of working. Um, currently in the spectrum, it's like, I don't know. I just, I feel like this history repeats itself, right? So mm -hmm. you have people who are going out of business because they are printing companies instead of picture companies, right? And this is the same type of scenario. So instead of continuing to be, you know, the best in their industry and providing roadside assistance in the most effective manner, they just kind of stay with the same you know, the same thing and the same like processes instead of iterating and, and evolving. And so, you know, again, this is another, I think, great example of that. But, um, you know, I see like, obviously, roadside assistance is something that everybody's going to need at some point in time or another. And, you know, being able to know when somebody's going to get there, possibly speed up that, you know, that whole transaction of finding a tow truck or finding somebody to come out and refuel you, um, I think is like really important and it also helps areas like Atlanta that have a lot of traffic and, and, you know, issues getting around places to kind of, um, move things forward a lot better. So, you know, this is part of a bigger, a bigger spectrum of things like, uh, smart cities and, um, you know, just transportation in general. So I think this is really great and I only foresee that continuing to grow in the future. 
Yeah, I, I think this is, I mean, congrats, first of all, to the guys at Urgently. Um, you know, we I, I remember covering these guys when they first launched uh, a couple of years back. And, um, you, you know, so it's great to have, uh, you know, to see the success uh, that they're having and, and that, uh, you know, that's being endorsed, you know, in, in, in the form of $21 million to kind of grow the business. Um, you know, what I love about this investment in particular is, um, you know, BMW iVentures is a fund that, you know, I'm a big fan of because the, you know, they, they've right from the start and, and kind of all along, um, and, and evidenced here in this investment, um, you know, they, they get location-based services. They understand, you know, the, the power of what you can do with location data. So, I mean, whether it's this or they've invested in, in other startups around motorcycles, um, they've invested in things like move it, uh, and other platforms, uh, all of which are really oriented around our world of, of location-based data and marketing and services. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to specifically the urgently uh, platform, as you say, I mean, it, it took like a startup obviously to come in and, and change the game around this. But, uh, you know, who, who pays now still like memberships to CAA or AAA or, you know, that kind of stuff? Um, like nobody I know, uh, still has that. Like I, I gave, you know, we gave ours up long ago. Um, and I think partly because a lot of, you know, if you have a new vehicle, it typically comes with some sort of, you know, roadside assistance anyways. Um, but there's absolutely a, a huge need for this stuff, especially like, look at the weather up here right now. I mean, there's people stranded all over the place with this, with this snow, uh, and, and are going to be calling on roadside assistance today, uh, up here in the Toronto area. So, um, you know, I, I think that um, being able to to have access to services like this on demand on a paper use model uh, and being able to, to leverage real time location data to know you know where that tow truck is or where that you know uh, support person is on on its way to you is is really uh, powerful. And I think the integration that they're kind of pushing to in in terms of linkages to insurance. Uh, providers and if you have insurance uh, for your vehicle and, and you have let's say a service like this connected into it you know perhaps that you know affects you know uh, your premiums and, and what you pay uh, in a positive way as well um, so I, I think the, the ability to kind of look at how those data sets get combined um, is really the future right and, uh, and I think these guys are, are on the right track there so yeah, side note, I think when um, probably about 41 episodes ago, something like that, we talked about um, urgently providing roadside assistance for Uber vehicles. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the kind of fleet you're looking at here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so moving on to our second story. Um, this one's like uh, kind of close to home up here in, in Toronto, a uh, Canadian company uh, called Isle Labs. Uh, which is a fairly big player in uh, providing Wi-Fi uh, systems uh, for you know all sorts of different businesses, from retail to hospitality and tourism to um, you know a, a whole range of restaurants and so on. So, um, but uh, they've announced sort of a a new feature or a new component to their platform, and they call it Payment Wi-Fi. And so, um, essentially, what it is is a is a platform, uh, an addition to their platform that uh, gives uh, businesses who are using their Wi-Fi system the ability to um, charge uh, for that Wi-Fi and to and, and to manage that that payment process through the uh, through the platform, um, and. Um, 
you know, to do so with a lot of different sort of variations. So you can control the duration that people have access to. You can control how much data they can, you know, sort of have access to or, or you know, uh, the speeds of upload and download and, and a whole bunch of different kinds of things. You know, here's 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 the thing about this. I, I'm not super excited about this. I have to say that right off the bat. Um, I, I'm a big, big proponent of, of, uh, of Wi-Fi in venues. You know, prior to launching the LBMA, my last startup was a Wi-Fi company. I built you know, Wi-Fi for Starbucks and McDonald's and airports up here in Canada. And, you know, when I built that business, uh, and this was in 2007, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of public Wi-Fi in, in the country in terms of free Wi-Fi. What Wi-Fi we had was, uh, you know, pay-per-use models like Boingo, uh, you know, and Jaiwire and all these guys that were around at that time. Um, and, um, you know, my, when I launched that company, it was all about we need to have free Wi-Fi everywhere. And in exchange for free Wi-Fi, in, in my case with this business, you would watch a location-based ad. And that's how I got into the, the space. Um, and so I look at this and I go, what, like, are we really coming all the way back full circle now where we really want to charge people for Wi-Fi? And, you know, I hope businesses aren't looking at, uh, at this as a primary revenue source. You know, I know many hotel chains, you know, that's kind of what the one bastion still of, you know, of places where, where they charge for it. And the weirdest thing for me in hotel chains is, is that the higher, like the more luxury premium the hotel, the more likely they are to charge you for Wi-Fi, like in a <laughs> lot of cases, like unless you're like a, a member. I mean, if you're not a member, um, it, it's it's a weird, weird thing. Right. But, you know, so so. Obviously, I, I support because they have a Wi-Fi platform, the ability to charge if somebody wants to do that. But the notion of charging itself is something I'm just like, I, I just can't, I can't support that. I, I like I, I vehemently disagree with that as a premise. I think Wi-Fi should be free. I think you should find other ways to monetize that through advertising uh, and use location data to do that. Uh, like I did, you know, 10 years, 12 years ago now. Um, and uh, and just find other ways to do that. But uh, I mean, good on them for continuing to evolve their platform, iLabs that is, and and to to, to extending the capabilities of it. Uh, they do have obviously regular you know login capabilities through social sign on and Facebook and Twitter and you know all those kinds of things and um, you know email registration and and even SMS. So you know it's a full spectrum platform. Uh, but you know the notion of payment is something I just I I I, I don't like it. So that's it. That's all I got to say. No, I completely agree with you. I think that Wi-Fi being is should be free. It is a basic commodity these days, right? I mean, you use Wi-Fi like you drink water. And, you know, to start charging for tap water and the plastic cheap cups that you get at a restaurant is, is a ridiculous notion. So I think that it's something that should be free. Um, and I think there's so many other ways to monetize it, again, and at a greater spectrum, I mean, if you think of the ability to capture email addresses for an advertiser or um, the ability to retarget and remarket to people, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to give you my email address for free Wi-Fi, right? Uh, what I'm not willing to do is pull out my credit card, log in, and do all of this extra stuff um, to pay for Wi-Fi. Like, that, to me, I'd rather just not have it almost. Um, I think it's ridiculous. So, uh, and, and then from like an ease of use 
you know, standpoint. A lot of times when you are in these venues, I mean, besides a hotel, but when you're in a venue, you know, you're there for a limited amount of time. So like the idea of being, you know, inconvenienced to pull out a credit card and type in all this information and your billing address and all that, it's a pain. Like even just doing that on an airplane is a pain. Like it should be a more Mm -hmm. seamless process, right? Um, you know, it's not enough that you just spent $800 on an airline ticket. Now you got to pay the extra $20 for the in-flight Wi-Fi. It's just, you know, and now some, you know, it's, it's changing a little bit. I think that they're realizing like, Hey, we could make more money just selling advertising on this. or you have to watch this 30 second video before you're connected. It's so much easier. There's so many other options, so many better options. I don't know who's saying like, yes, this is the way that our revenue is going to be generated. It's just not. And at scale, like who's going to, you know, you're going to get, what are you going to get? 30 people paying for Wi-Fi versus having a big advertiser come in and, and pay something substantial and reliable. Yeah. I will say this though. Um, anyways, you know, I, 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 depending on what market you're in, like from a country geographic perspective, this makes sense in some other markets like so like when i built that company and 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 kind of exited out of that it was we sold it to a a brazilian uh multinational wi-fi operator and they run wi-fi in all of latin and south america and you know spanish-speaking markets you know spain and, and and other markets as well all the airports all the restaurant chains and so on and they're that in that world in that you know sort of geography it's still acceptable you know to have you know pay, paper use models um and so Sure, you know, but in North America, in Canada, in the U.S., no, it's like I, I, I can't, I can't buy into this. And and the reality is, is the the smarter way to go, and I wish this would happen, is that you know the mobile operators out there, uh, and I'm talking about you know Bell, Rogers, Telus in Canada, Verizon, Sprint, AT and T, you know, and so on uh, in the U.S. These guys should be underwriting the cost of the Wi-Fi, because the reality is, is that. They're all trying to figure out right now, like, you know, how can we, um, uh, you know, offload traffic off of the, you know, the cellular networks. And the best way to do that, my friends, is through Wi-Fi. And so go ahead and say, look, you're paying us a lot of money to have a phone on our network. And, you know, we're going to go do a deal and we're going to provide Wi-Fi, you know, when you're in other venues and something else to imbalance the traffic load. So... Anyhow, yeah, not to mention to all of those all companies are trying to figure out how to do kind of a marketing spin on what they've got, but they can't do that by licensing their location data now. So here's a new way to capture location data, capture that one-to-one, make it measurable, um, and you're not doing it with 100% of your audience, but you could do it with a percentage of your audience by capturing email at various Wi-Fi you know, points or uh, phone number or whatever it may be, right? There should be like an, a consortium of all of these um, providers to say, Hey, let's just, we'll do all these Wi-Fi's they put in their number. We share, you know, revenue from this data that we're able to say, Hey, this, this person or this audience was at this specific location at this time. And it's an exchange, right? Like they're giving you something of value. You're giving them something back, but it's a very seamless integrated experience. So we'll move on. (laughs) Yes. There we go. Let's go to something happier. So this is a completely shift gears and um, this company that I actually, I have not, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but it's called Ahold Delhais and basically they are, uh, they're a service company that owns like Stop and Shop, Giants, Martins, um, different 
supermarket locations, um, grocery store chains, and they have launched a, a robot, right? So they're launching about 500 robots in retail stores, and they've named their robot Marty, I'm assuming um, because of their Martins locations. Um, so this is a result of a partnership between the retail business services, um, which is the, the services company of a whole Del Highs USA, and Badger Technologies, which is a division of Jabil. I have not heard of them before. Uh, but they've been going through all of these test rounds and pilots, and now they're like going full-fledged, 500 robots going to all these stores. So they're going to be used to do different things like identify hazards, like, you know, there's a spill on aisle five, somebody broke a jar of marinara sauce, or... Um, you know, bulk item spills, uh, so they can help mitigate risk. So they're doing all of the things that employees don't necessarily want to do in terms of making sure that everybody's safe and maybe employees aren't best suited to do so that the employees can actually focus better on spending time with customers and customer retention and helping them find things. So what I think is really interesting about this is that this is, we're talking about implementing technology to assist the employees rather than replace the employees, and I like that. Yeah. I think that that's smart. I think this is a great you know use case. And uh, mitigating risk is a very important thing for these types of supermarkets. In another lifetime, um, I actually handled I actually handled um, general liability risk and so everything from stuff in people's food to slip and falls. And that's a huge expense for these owners and operators, franchisees, um, you know, retail chains. It's very expensive. And a lot of times these are fraudulent claims. But if they can mitigate that risk by having something that's, you know, com always con consistently, you know, going on a various path through the store and identifying anything that's happening um, or saying, hey, you know, this aisle was checked at this time and the floor was dry. So we had no knowledge of this, of this spill. So it was, you know, there was no uh, known risk. So I'm going into a whole nother world of things, but like, it makes sense. Right. Um, so I would assume that these robots have uh, the ability to kind of track where they've been, what the conditions were and, you know, report that back. And that's so, um, so important. So they're continuing to test these autonomous robots in select locations, and they're going to continue to roll them out at the beginning of this year. Uh, but I think this is really cool. I know there's um, giant supermarkets up in the Northeast where I used to live and where my in-laws are. So maybe next time I take a trip up there, I'll have to go by and see Marty. Check him out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I don't have a lot to add to this story. Um, I, I, I think it's cool. Uh, and, and the point that you made uh, about you know, using these robots to assist employees as opposed to replacing employees, I think is a, is, is a key one here. Um, you know, and kind of applying them into tasks that are things that, you know, uh, reduce the risk for, for, for human, uh, you know, employees, right? Um, you know, around the safety issues and, and you know, hazardous materials and things like that. So I, I really like this. I, I think this is a, a very, very cool um, way to kind of bring technology into retail, uh, to bring robots in particular into this environment. Um, and, um, you know, I, th I think we're going to see more and more of this. I think, you know, you'll see this in grocery, in traditional grocery. I think guys like Kroger and, and folks like that will be all over this type of technology. You know, and I, I think that as we move to, um, you know, sort of uh, cashierless checkouts and all that kind of thing that Amazon and everybody else is pushing towards, you know, it can't just be focused on on the uh, you know the front end. It's got to be also you know looking at the back end, right? I mean, retail is 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 you know a big business when it comes to 
you know, um, what the consumer sees, but what actually goes on behind the scene, behind the scenes, right? In terms of, of, of staff uh, information and training and all that kind of stuff. And if you can use robots uh, in some of those environments, I think you're, uh, it, it's a step in the right direction. Um, so yeah, I mean, good on them for, for pushing this out there. It'd be fun to, to watch it evolve. Obviously, we don't have any of this uh, any of these stores up in Canada, so I'm gonna rely on, on you, Aubriana, to go check it out. Um, you know, or if any anybody's listening who who lives uh, near a giant or Martin store or a stop and shop, um, and you got time to go check this out uh, and see see if you can get a picture with Marty or something and uh, contact us and send it in, we'd be happy to uh, to hear, hear about your experience. So yeah, for sure. There you go. So that's our three industry news stories for this week. As I said, uh, we're postponing the guest uh, for this week uh, and we're gonna so we'll, go, we'll jump right into our member news um, and this is a uh, an interesting story to kick things off so Tom Tom uh, uh, the big uh, Dutch uh, mapping company uh, or as they I guess uh, they, they just say Tom Tom or something like that I think <laughs> the, the Dutch call it like I, I just go Tom Tom but it's Tom Tom I know. or something like that um, uh, they're selling their telematics uh, division, a big, big part of their business, uh, to Bridgestone uh, in Europe for basically about a billion dollars. Um, and so this company's been around a long time. Uh, they started in 1991 and they're, we're well, well known for uh, satellite-based navigation services. Um, you know, lots of people used to have the little TomTom devices in their cars before we had them built into our navigation screens. and. And all of that, and um, and so they're they're selling the telematics group, uh, as I said, to Bridgestone for basically a billion dollars. Um, and the speculation is, uh, and they haven't said a lot about kind of why or, or where they're going around this, but the uh, they've been getting a lot of pressure on sort of the um, real time navigation um, side of the business, coming from guys like Google Maps and and others. And they've decided, look, you know, our telematics stuff is not our focus anymore. Uh, we need, we want to focus on the uh, the real time mapping. We want to be able to better compete with with what Google's doing, with what Here is doing, um, and we need to focus our, our our efforts and our resources on that. And so that's really kind of where uh, you know this deal is coming from, and sort of the the intentions around this. Um, and uh, we've talked obviously lots about here and, and being acquired by, you know, several car companies a few years back. Um, and we know Google um, uh, did a deal uh, last year to kind of push their Android platform into um, Renault, Nissan and Mitsubishi. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of movement in the space. And I think TomTom's uh, out there looking, going, we need to stay, stay relevant. We need to stay focused. We need to find ways to compete better um, and um, and sort of divesting ourselves of the telematics part of the business and, and, and focusing on, on the uh, sort of mapping and navigation business is, is where we want to be. Um, and so that's that, that's essentially what, what they're doing. So um, I don't have lots more to say about it. I, I'm sure there's more information that will come out as time goes on uh, around how they're planning to do that and, and exactly what they're focusing on. But that's the play. Yeah, I think this is a smart move um, on behalf of TomTom. Tom. I think um, I think they do have a good opportunity with their reach to continue to kind of be competitive and relevant, uh, but they definitely have to focus on that that core area. And I know back, you know, 
through my experience with the various providers for location-based service and data and mapping data, um, you know, TomTom's been there, but they haven't really been like a front runner. And I think they certainly have the ability to do that. And, you know, I think now more than ever, mapping data and real-time data is is so relevant and necessary and needed by so many companies. Um, So the the ability to license that and generate more revenue, I think, is much... um, is a, is a better area to focus than the traditional telematics. So I think this is good. So moving on to our friends at Adobe, they um, have announced that they're working on a platform to measure out-of-home advertising effectiveness. So this is interesting. They're working with a variety of tele- telecommunications uh, brands to determine if a mobile device saw a uh, specific screen, right? Like in front of a store, outside of a movie theater, in a street, in a, you know, the lobby of a hotel. Um, You know, what they're saying is they're kind of trying to switch the traditional marketing play on its head. They're saying, you know, most marketers are starting about, you know, they think about search and then they want to tie that to, um, you know, a billboard, right? Mm-hmm. And now they're saying, let's start with a screen and then we'll work backwards by integrating search, um, which I think makes sense. You know, uh, obviously, a lot of times something that you see will trigger you to dive in, you know, and look on your phone, whether it's looking up, you know, what something means or a show that's coming to town or whatever it may be. So, They've been testing serving digital ads on billboards in casinos based on location data and proximity to specific devices that have opted in, um, which I think is interesting. So they could, in essence, you know, deliver specific ads based upon the device that's nearest to it or devices that are nearest to it. So they're, you know, they're saying like optimizing the ad is easy, but measuring is the challenge. So now they're trying to say like, what's the level of engagement between consumers and a digital billboard? Um, so kind of how it works is they are putting all these sensors near billboards to detect mobile devices passing by, and then they serve up an ad on the screen based upon the device that has opted in. Um, so they can, you know, recognize just any device anywhere, not necessarily one that's been in use. And, um, they're still working on kind of the metrics to prove how, I guess, effective it is and the performance of this technology. Um, but you know, my question is, you know, one thing that they left in the article was like, is this going to increase click-through rates? Is it going to increase the average order value? Um, you know, conversions, all of those things, are they going to be driven up because of this? But my question more is like in the um, in the how, right? So I get the sensors, I get, I, I get all of that and the billboards changing. But if you're trying to initiate search based upon your ads, how do you get the search data, right? You, you don't have that insight into, you know, who went to your site um, or who searched for something on Google or, you know, Safari or whatever search engine you want to use. So connecting those pieces, I think, is going to be very complicated because we all know that none of those search engines are going to be sharing that level of data with you. And even more importantly, um, more than likely, they're not getting that exact device ID. So connecting the two would be a little bit challenging as well. So I, I don't know. I get it, but I don't get how they're going to bring this full circle. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the approach is solid, right? I think looking at uh, ads running on screen and then how that generates search traffic or the analogy that they used of you see an ad on TV and then do you jump on, on your phone while you're watching TV to, to go learn more about that thing makes a ton of sense to me, right? Um, 
and having the sensors nearby to kind of pull that. But, but the point that you make, I think is the key here, right? Like how do you actually measure the search aspect of that? Right? Like, I, like to me, there, there's a, a missing component, you know, you need probably like, uh, you know, somebody like a Yext or, you know, somebody else to kind of come in here and kind of provide another le level of the, of data around the search analysis or an Uberall or, you know, somebody like that, right. That, um, might be able to kind of, you know, tie the sensors to actual, uh, search, search traffic. Um, so that, that's the piece for me. That's, that's kind of the, the core component here. Now I understand just from reading the, uh, the press around this, Michael Klein, uh, at Adobe is the guy who's kind of leading this initiative. Now we had Michael speak at Retail Loco way, way back, uh, one of the South by events. Um, so be interesting, uh, Michael, if you're, if you happen to be listening to this, we'd love to have you back at, uh, to come talk about this. Cause I think, I think this, I think it's really cool. I think it's really fascinating what you're doing. And obviously digital out of home is a big part of what we cover, uh, at the LBMA and the connectivity to sensors. And I mean, this is a true location data story. Um, but, uh, I'm interested to understand, kind of how how you see monetizing this and, and this playing out um uh would be really key uh in, in in driving this thing forward because i can see a lot of our members i can see a lot of brands you know that we work with being interested in this right um and, and there's a couple other aspects to it too like you at the top you mentioned kind of mobile operator data like a lot of the mobile operators in at least in north america have been making their data available to the digital out of home and, and the billboard companies in terms of measuring, um, you know, traffic, right? Like how many f phones are in proximity to this billboard or this screen, you know, instead of in the old days having guys there with counters counting cars and people going by, right? They just now like, just tell me how many phones were, were there. So that's, you know, to me, that's one aspect to it in terms of the traffic piece of it. But now we're talking about actually measuring engagement around that. Um, and, I and think, now we have the mobile operators that are getting rid of sharing that exactly. data, right? We just talked about that. So now right. there's another pain point that kind of has to be like, I love this idea. I think that it's really important. We just, there's missing components in terms of measurability, right? Right, right. And eons ago, like I'm talking like probably 2011, when, like in the early, early days of LBMA, we, there was a project that we did with, uh, with Foursquare back then uh, under, you know, older, old, much older, you know, uh, long ago leadership at the, at the time, but, um, where you would see an ad on, on a billboard, uh, or on a digital screen, and there would be some sort of call to action on the actual ad that said, you know, uh, check into this billboard on Foursquare or, you know, um, you know, send an SMS to this, you know, to this, uh, to this number. Uh, with with your answer to this question that we're asking, and so it was a, it was a pretty simple yet effective way to kind of take a mass media and convert it to one to one, right? Where you could actually measure engagement and results, and you can still do that today. So that's to me the piece here is is how do we take what they're saying, which makes a ton of sense, right? Of tying the sensors and driving it from you see the ad to search, um, but the measurability and the the ability to actually interact and engage. Uh, is the piece that I'd like to get some more clarity around. Yep. So there Agreed. you go. All right. Uh, final story, Walgreens, uh, back in the news again, and, uh, they're testing in some stores now, some smart coolers. Um, and so you walk into a Walgreens and you know, you need that cold drink or whatever it is. And there it is sitting in a cooler. But now what they've got is these new coolers 
um, that basically have uh, screens that are built into the glass. Um, and uh, the, the, the freezers or the coolers have sensors and cameras, um, and they're using essentially face recognition technology to look at things like gender and age and figure out demographics and, you know, also combining uh, real-time weather data and looking at things like what's in your cart and all that kind of stuff and taking all that data in, in real time, kind of mashing it all together and then delivering an ad on, this, on the cooler, on the screen, essentially, that is relevant, hopefully, if they've done the data crunching well, to you. Um, so kind of like the personalization of, uh, of the ad um, by combining a bunch of real-time data sets. Um, I think it's cool. I think it's, it's, it's where the industry is going. They say they've already got um, Nestle and Molson, or, or Miller Coors, uh, sorry, that uh, are, are playing around with this uh, with them in some of the stores. So I think, it, I think it's pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, I wish they would bring this technology to like our homes. So my pantry door could be like, no, you cannot have another juice box. 15 is your cap for the day or <laughs> get out of the fridge <laughs> to my toddler. Um, but on a serious note, I think this is like a very smart thing um, to be integrating into the stores. It makes sense. It's something that people drive by or, you know, with their carts or they walk by. Um, and if it's a little bit more targeted and they know what you're looking for, then, you know, I think that that makes makes it even better. I think this is the way that a lot of advertising should be is is taking into consideration all of those components and whatever context you can gather and display in a non-creepy kind of um, based on an audience segment versus a personalized, you know, <laughs> message like, hey, Abriana, I know you definitely need some extra caffeine today. You're looking really tired. Uh, I think is really cool. So here you go. So that's it. Nothing else to say. Um, you three industry news stories, three member news stories there. Um, as always, if you have story ideas or uh, feedback, you know, reach out to us. Uh, we're easily found. In fact, there's contact information at the end of the show uh, for all the social channels uh, on how you can connect with us. Uh, you've been listening to episode number 400. Yes, the big 400 uh, of this week in location-based marketing. And, uh, of course, we'll be back next week uh, with more. And um, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. For 400 episodes. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate it. Okay. Bye, everyone. <laughs>